it's always amazing to see all the different people from all around the world who come together to gather in the reading of the word. Um, some of you, it's hot outside. For some of you, it's freezing cold outside. For some of you, it's daytime. For some of you, it's nighttime. For some of you, it's the middle of the night. For some of you, it's the middle of the day. For some of you, it's early in the morning. For some of you, it's late at night. And so it's cool that we get to all come together in simultaneity to spend time in the reading of the word. We got Trinidad and Tobago. We got Jamaica. We got California. We got Pensacola. We have Delaware. We have Lombard, Illinois. Good to see you. We got Maryland. We got Canada, y'all, all coming together to read the word today. We got Australia in the house. Hey, Nina, good to see you. So glad you're here. Um, I love it. I love it. I'm so glad you are here. Michigan in the house. Good to see you, Aaron. Love it. I got New York City, my IG fam. I got New York City in the house. I got Atlanta in the house. Nungaiti, good to see you. Uh, we have Missouri. We have Michigan. Um, we have Decatur, um, Georgia. We've got the Bay Area in the house. Good to see you. We've got Queensland, Australia. Good to see you, uh, Carmel. Good to see you. We got Maryland in the house. Maryland again. Ooh, Maryland showing out today. We got Vegas in the house. Richmond, Virginia in the house. We've got, look at that. We got folks from all over who are here gathering with us in just to spend some time in the reading of God's word. I love that you're here. It is one of the most encouraging things to see people. Connecticut has the best pizza in the country. Huh? That's interesting. I I would have never thought of Connecticut for pizza. Pizza is my favorite food. I'm a teenage mutant ninja turtle. <laughs> I love pizza. So now you've got me interested. You, you caught my attention. Um, Johannesburg, good to see you. Oh wow, Chicago. Let's pray. Let's keep let's keep Chicago in our prayer. Prayers. Let's keep Chicago in our prayers, y'all. San Francisco, New York in the house. Good to see you, New York. Good to see everybody. Good to see you all as you've come together to join. We've got folks from all over here. We've got our Discord family. We've got our IG family. We got our TikTok family. We got folks from different parts of the world on different platforms coming together to spend time in the reading of the word. We're going to spend a few moments just reading some scripture. If you've been with us from the beginning, we've been journeying from Genesis. Um, and now we found ourselves in Amos. So we've read, you know, you could go through the whole list of books that we've read from Genesis and now we're in Amos and it's exciting because we're close to the end of the old Testament. And it's been an amazing journey that you guys have embarked on along with me. This is a reading, a reflective reading. This is what I call a meditational reading. We're just here to meditate on the word. It's not a Bible study, but it is a meditational reading. And there are those of you who've been with me from the gate, the OGs who've been reading from the new Testament all the way through. And now we're reading through the old Testament and here we are. We find ourselves here. If you ever want to catch up and catch some of the other Read and Rants that we have um, engaged in, you can go ahead and subscribe to the Read and Rant podcast. I want to encourage you to do that. It's free, y'all. Subscribe to the Read and Rant podcast. It'll be a blessing to you. I've heard so many stories of lives being transformed through this. And so I would encourage you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the Read and Rant podcast. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is to join our Discord community. We're starting forums over there. We have people praying for each other, encouraging one another. And so I want to encourage you guys to go ahead and join our Discord community. They're lit right now because I got Discord on here. Lit. They're lit right now. So it is um, it is a blessing 
to see how you guys have come together to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to um, help one another along the way. And so, you know, a life in faith isn't meant to be done alone. A life in faith isn't meant to be done alone. So I want to encourage you guys to join us there. <clears throat> and then, of course, prayerfully consider becoming a patron. Uh, we have a Patreon community. I know they get the bonus of having these audios available to them right away. But I, you know, I, I encourage you guys to prayerfully consider becoming a patron as well. But what we're here to do is to spend time in the reading of the word. And, and so I want to encourage you now to join me in the book of Amos. Okay. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Amos. And we're going to read for a few. We call this the read and rant because we are just reading for a few. And then we're just going to reflect for a few. I call it a rant because I got nothing prepared. Okay. Um, it's, you know, the sermon is more thought through and prepared. There's this just, it's whatever's in my heart as I'm reading. And I, and the way I posture myself as I spend time in the reading of God's word in the morning is, is I prayerfully ask for the Lord to speak to me. Um, I posture myself to receive from God. And to do that, we ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Speak to me, Lord. What are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question that we ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? That's the second question. And the third question that we ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? And so that's what we're going to commit ourselves to, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us as we read his word, that we'd be inspired, and that we would know the heart of God, that we would know God, that we would know him, his heart, his person, his personality, and his will in our lives. And so let's get into it. Let's read. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have brought us here. Lord, you brought us together. Lord, there are folks from all over. Lord, we're spending time right now in the reading of the word. And I just pray right now that you would uh, bless us today. Inspire us with your word, Lord. Lead us and guide us, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for each and every person who's in attendance, Father, that they would hear a word from you. Um, not, not, not from me, but from you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us read. We're in Amos and we're in chapter one. And it says this in Amos one. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep bearers of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and he utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors of shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron. And I will send a fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the places of Ben-Hadad. And I will break the gate of the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant of the valley of Aven and the one who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. The people of Syria shall go captive to Ker, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they took captive the whole captivity to, de to deliver them up to Edom. 
but I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza, and I will devour its places, and I will cut off the inhabitant of Ashdod, and the one who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, which shall devour its palaces. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Taman, which shall devour the places of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they ripped open the woman with child in Gilead that they might enlarge their territory, and I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and shall devour its places amid shouting in the day of battle and the tempest of the day of the whirlwind. Their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Chapter 2 Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. And I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the places of Kerioth. Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and trumpet sound, and I will cut off the judge from its midst and slay all its princes with him, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. Their lies lead them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the places of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver. And the poor for a pair of sandals, they pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor, and pervert the way of the humble. The man and his father go in to the same girl, to defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on the clothes taken in pledge, and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was as strong as the oaks, yet I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt, and led you forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of the young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. Behold, I am weighed down by you, as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. Therefore, Flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself.
The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from, from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. I can walk together. Sorry, can two walk together unless they agree? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Proclaim the palaces of Ashdod, and in the palaces of the land of Egypt, say, Assemble on the mountains of Samaria. See great tumults in her midst, and the oppressed within her. For they do not know to do right, says the Lord, who store violence and robbery in their places. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, An adversary shall be all around the land. He shall sap your strength from you, and your palaces shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord. As a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria. In the corner of the bed, on the edge of the couch, hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts. And in that day, I punish Israel for their transgressions. I will visit destruction in the altar's on the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, says the Lord. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness. Behold, the days shall come upon you when he will take you away from the fish hooks and the posterity with fish hooks. And I will go through with broken walls, each one of you straight of her, and will cast you into harbor, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. At, Gilead, sorry, at Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. With leaven. Proclaim and announce the freewill offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Also, I gave you, the, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. And lack of bread in all your places. Yet. You have not turned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when there were still three months into the harvest. I made it rain in one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, that part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew, with 
your gardens increase, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees. The locusts devoured them, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I sent you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with the sword, along with your captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come into your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he formed mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is, and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. Hear this word which I take up against you. O lamentation, O house of Israel, the virgin of Israel has fallen, she will rise no more. She lies forsaken in her land, there is no one who raises her up. Mm. For thus says the Lord God, a city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left in the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord, to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, with no one to quench it in Bethel. You who turn justice to wormwood, and lay righteousness to the rest of the earth. He made Pleiades and Orion. He turned the shadow of the death into morning. He makes the day dark as night and calls the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He rains ruin upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate. They abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor, and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this. There shall be wailing in the streets, and they shall say in the highways, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmer to mourning, and skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not night. It will be as though a man 
fled from a lion, and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is not very dar- is is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream. Do you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? You also carried Succoth your king, and Shion your idols, the star of your gods which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the Lord of hosts. I'm going to stop here. Um we will finish our reading tomorrow of the book of Amos. If you've been journeying with us as we spent time in the reading of the word, you would have seen that. And I say this and you'll, you'll hear me say this over and over again, that you, you've seen this before. We've seen this already. Uh, we've seen this in, in first Kings. Um, when we saw uh, Jeroboam, who had amassed a significant amount of wealth and a significant amount of influence. Uh, Jeroboam was, uh, in many respects, a mighty king. And he was mighty in the sense that he was able to establish political power and political influence, economic influence, economic power. And so many celebrated him for his influence and his power over Israel. Jeroboam was a king over Israel. Remember, Israel was the nation of Israel, the family of Israel was split into two, the nation of Israel in the north, and of course, the nation of Judah in the south. And we know the consequences of what transpired. We know all this stuff. We know what happens in the end. In the end, of course, they were overtaken by the northern kingdoms. And not only did they lose their land, but then they were scattered about the land. The judgment of God, what we know as the judgment of God, and we read this through the prophets now. We've read the history of it. Now we're reading it from the perspective of the prophets. We read it through uh, uh, Daniel. We read it through Ezekiel. We, we, we've read the story. We've read it through Jeremiah. And so we've read it from their perspective. So we read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles from a historical lens. And now we're reading it from a prophetic lens. We read Joel, and and we read we read Joel from a prophetic lens, which happened, uh, which you know Joel was most likely have written during the time when the Israelites were in captivity, and yet they were about to be reintroduced to their land. Amos is written in this time, and in First Kings chapter twelve, so it's a little bit ahead of time. This is why we say that the prophets aren't necessarily, um, they aren't. Uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, goodness gracious, my brain just froze. Um, they're, they're not sequential in nature. Okay, um, they're not chronological. There's the word I was looking for. 
Um, these books are written, but now we're just seeing the different perspectives. And yet we're here. We see it from the perspective of, of Amos now. And Amos is giving us the perspective, uh, a prophetic perspective, and he provides a prophetic warning to Israel, the northern nation, of course, of Israel, warning them of what would transpire because of their transgressions. Interestingly enough, as we read here, his prophetic voice speaks into their transgressions in the matters of justice. We see the consequences of what happens when those who do not follow the heart of God, and I'm getting to my point because I'm not going to stay too long. You notice my nose is stuffy, it's running, it's all over the place, but I just want to share this one thought with you guys, um, and then I'll let you go. Um, um, but on the matters of, of, of justice and on the matters of how one ought to live on the earth, remember the, the nation of Israel, and you can see the tone in Amos that these people were uniquely chosen. He brings allusion back to what we saw in Genesis chapter 11 and in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham was, was called to father many nations and that he would establish a family that would father many nations. Understand what fathering does. A father is a mentor. A father is a guide. A father is one who leads. You're not a father if you simply birth children. Okay, A father doesn't birth children. Say that again. Males birth children. Fathers raise children. Males can have a baby boy or a baby girl, but a father raises them up. And often when we think about fatherhood, we often think of simply the contribution of providing the existence of something. But rather, fathering is about cultivating, being present, leading and guiding, mentoring. That's why to be a father, it doesn't require you to birth a child. To be a father is one who just says, I'm going to take this one up and I'm going to give them everything I learned to protect them, to nurture them, to cover them, to lead them, to guide them, to provide structure and wisdom so that they can become all that God has intended them to be. You don't need to birth a child to be a father. And you don't need to con contribute to birthing a child to be a father. You just simply need to be there. That's it. And when we talk about our lives and faith, it's important that we see this, that in, in a spiritual sense, we're called to father. And this is both for, and when I say father now, I want to make sure you understand that I'm not speaking from simply, uh, from, from, from one particular gender perspective. To father. Is the same thing as mothering here. So when I speak about fathering, I'm speaking about mothering as well. That as believers, we're called to be a nation that mothers and that fathers. Israel was called to father nations. Consequentially, from Abraham, he would he would father a family that would father nations. We see this imagery in the book of Genesis. We are called to mother and father. You know. Here's the issue, right? Nowadays, the problem that we have in the church is that people just want to birth Christians, but they don't want to raise Christians. Yeah, we want people to just say, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, and we want to dip them in water just to say they're baptized. 
But then there's the other part that we all seem to forget is that even children need to be raised up. And yet we don't have enough people who are simply just inspiring people to faith in Jesus Christ, but helping raise them up to know what it means to live a life in Christ. We don't have enough mothers and fathers anymore in the faith. And some of and when we think of mothers and fathers in the faith, I'm not talking about simply the guy who's on the pulpit preaching. There's more mothering and fathering happening in the pews than could ever happen on the pulpit. And yet we're only ascribing mothering and fathering to the dissemination of information. If I could just give them information, then that's enough. But that's not enough. People aren't going to know who you are based off of what you know. They're going to know who you are based off of how you live. Did y'all hear me, family? And for many, we we want, I'm sorry, I'm going into rant mode here. Just stay with me because it's getting to my point. We, When we think about the spiritual life, we only, it's, it's a travesty, at least in the, in the Christian world. The travesty is, is that we simply think of discipleship as the transmission of information. We don't think of discipleship as mothering and fathering. You know what the church is missing today? Mothers and fathers. No, we have people who are judgmental. We have people who judge, you know, who criticize. Yeah, we have people who criticize. We have people who simply point out everything that you've done that's wrong. But a mother or a father guides you not to simply be afraid of what is wrong and to see what you've done is wrong and what your infractions are. But the mother and a father guides you into what is right. We love to point at people. It's funny. We love as Christians to point the wrong in people. We love to point the sin in people. We love to point the errors. Yeah. Uh, how they're not living the way that they ought to live, how they're not doing the things that they ought to do. But we never actually see ourselves as a family where we who are more mature in the faith have been called to guide those who are less mature in the faith. So we don't encourage, we don't exhort, we just simply criticize. But what a mother and a father does is how we ought to mother and father those who are babes in the faith. We're to raise them up to see what is right, not just to know what they've done that is wrong. That's the problem we have in the church today. Too many folks are pointing out what you're doing wrong, but nobody's showing you how to do right. No one's raising you up in love and in grace. Parents who love don't just call out their kids for what they've done that is wrong. They help show their children how to do right. We ain't got enough folks who do that. We don't have enough folks who do that. Not realizing that a sin issue is actually a spiritual maturity issue. I'm sorry. I'm ranting, but. It, you know, whatever. It's 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 the NyQuil, y'all. It's the NyQuil in my system. Um, we, we 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 simply like to point out, this is what you're not doing right. This is how you should be, and so we never actually show them. We never actually show them how to live. We never show them how to be. We never show them how to 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 live the life in the identity that they've been given. 
And so what we have now is we have a fatherless generation, motherless generation. And we're seeking fathers and mothers. When you're not fathered and you're not mothered, what you learn is you learn the rules, but you're never transformed by your identity. You're never transformed by your identity in Christ. You're never transformed by your identity because you're too busy. You're so consumed by the rules that you never actually know about who you are. I say all that because Israel in Genesis 11, that was just a segue. That was a really long segue. Israel was given this task of fathering family. They were given this task of fathering nations. They were going to be inspired with the wisdom, the heart, and the identity of God. God said, you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. They were called to father nations, to father many nations. And rather than fathering the nations, they were be, they became influenced by those nations. I've said this over and over again. Yo, see, if you if you've been in enough reading rants, you've heard me say this over and over again. Because I'm trying, I want you to see a consistent theme here that we see in, 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 in through the prophets and that we see through Israel is is that there's a knowledge that Israel has, but there's a living that Israel has lived that does not align with the knowledge that they have. There's a knowledge that Israel has of God, a knowledge of the story of God. This law that they've been given, you have to understand this law was so fundamentally different than any law that ever existed. Israel was a peculiar people, a different people. They, they were called to institute laws that were unfamiliar at the time, odd at the time. Those at the time would have seen it and said, wait, what? Care for the widow? What does that even mean? To care for the poor? Huh? What is that? Sacrifice? What is that? They, they were literally being introduced to the wisdom, the heart of God. God is righteous. And many, when we think about the righteousness of God, sorry if I take a little segue here, but stay with me for a second, family. When we think about the righteousness of God, too many of us equate the righteousness of God with the holiness of God. When we say that God is righteous, we're not saying that he is holy. Yes, God is holy. But please do not consider righteousness the synonym of holiness. Righteousness is the consequence of God's holiness. God is righteous, meaning all that is right flows through him, hence the term righteous. And if we're thinking of the righteousness of God, then we have to think of whatever is of God is right and what is not of God is wrong. That distinction between right and wrong is where we define righteousness, the righteousness of God. And if it's the righteousness of God, 
then it is the justice of God. This is why the word righteousness and the word justice coincide with each other, because justice has everything to do with what is right in consequence or juxtaposed to what is wrong. And if what is right is right, then what is not right is wrong. And all that is determined by God. If you can take away right and wrong, then you would you would infringe upon the identity of God. This is why so many folks who live this life of, I'm going to live my own truth, my own right, and my own wrong. What you're saying is you're choosing to be your own God. Live your own truth, fam. But if you live your own truth, you're choosing to be your own God. You can't tell me that you believe in God and yet you only believe in your truth. If it's okay for you to live your truth and for someone else to live their truth, then you're infringing upon even the very idea of God because God, who is righteous, is the arbiter of what is right and wrong. And if God is the arbiter of what is right and wrong, then it must be that what is right and wrong flows through him. You cannot believe in God and believe that there are different versions of right and different versions of God or different versions of wrong. And if you do, then you're believing in different versions of God. And if you're believing in different versions of God, saying someone else can have their own right and their own truth is is infringing upon your own truth. See, God can't be God if God can't be right. God can't be God if God can't be right. He is the same yesterday, forever, more. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. He is the same. God does not change. His law does not change. His heart does not change. And so when we see these folks who are representing the law of God, notice the law of man versus the law of God. The law of man forces and imposes his power, his comfort, and his influence. The law of God is focused on the glory of God through humanity. That's why you cannot love God if you can't love people. Because God has created humanity in his image as extensions of him. If you can't see God in the least of these, you see the homeless guy on the street, you see the widow, the poor, the least of these, what we would call the least of these. If you can't see God in them, through them, then you're missing out on who God is and who we are. And so this law that Israel has been given is actually diverting their attention, not just to each other, to themselves individually, but to divert themselves, their attention to those who are around them. The law of Israel was one that helped the needy, helped the poor, helped the broken, We're so busy on our politics today that we miss the heart of God. 
We're so busy trying to fight over Republicans versus Democrats that we miss the heart of God. What did Jesus say? And and I know I'm, I don't usually do this, but I I don't usually bounce around. But you know, we're just meditating, we're just reflecting. But if y'all recall, if you ever have a chance, go to Matthew twenty-five. Maybe you can remember what did Jesus say. He said, I was naked and you fed me. He's sorry, I was naked and you clothed me. That's what Jesus said. He said, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you you fed me. I was in prison and you came to see me. And then they asked him, Well, when did we do that? And Jesus said, Well, when you do it for the least of my brethren, you have done it for me. You know why we haven't an issue being compassionate is because we don't see the God in the broken. We don't see God in the poor. We don't see God in those who've been imprisoned. We don't see God in those who have lost it all. We only see God in the successes of those and the giftings of those who are around us. But Jesus is like, yo, if you can see them, then you can see me. The poor person that you see the homeless guy that you see under the bridge, do you see God? Or do you see a guy who could have made better decisions in his life? When you see that homeless guy under the bridge asking for a meal, what do you see? Let's just be honest. Most of us see someone who is lesser than. When you see the shoplifter, what do you see? Do you see God? No, we don't. And there's anything that infringes on the identity of God is when we don't see God through man. We have been made in the image of God. Each and every one of us, I don't care who you are, what you did, the mistakes that you made, you have been made in the image of God. I don't care what your proclivities are. I don't care what you feel. I don't care what you're thinking. I don't care what kind of, you know, whatever it is that you've got going on, you've been made in the image of God. I don't care if people say that you're ugly or that you're not beautiful or that you have no gifting or that you're not intelligent or that you, it doesn't matter what they say, you've been made in the image of God. And if they can't see God through you, the problem isn't them, it's not in you. The problem isn't them and it's not in you. And some of us can be compassionate for the homeless because some of us have gone through it so we know. My wife and I, we went through homelessness so we know. So now I can't look at someone and say, no, there are things that can transpire in life. You can go, you know, in my case, you can go from being a doctor, teaching at a university to finding yourself with nowhere to go and nowhere to live. And if it hadn't been for people who loved us and came alongside us, where would we be today? We took a step in faith in ministry and we went completely broke doing it. <laughs> I, I, I don't regret a day of it at all, but I know. And so where is Israel falling short here, family? 
Where is Israel getting it wrong here? Is that Israel has amassed this success that we talked about right at the beginning of this reading, Jeroboam, with all this influence that he's gaining. And yet, rather than following the law and the heart of God, the righteousness of God, they're beginning to follow the justice of the land that they have subdued. Instead of subduing the land and fathering the land, they're letting the land influence them. And so what we begin to see is with all this power, and we've talked about, some of this might actually sound like, wait, I've heard this before, because we've already seen this. We talked about this already. We talked about it when we read through 1 Kings. (laughs) We talked about it when we were reading through 1 Kings together. And now we're seeing the judgment of God, because we didn't talk about how God sees this. And now we're beginning to see through the lens of God from the words here that have been given to us by Amos, the warnings that he's giving and the judgment that he's giving to Israel. He's saying, yeah, you've seen all the success. You're gaining all this power, Jeroboam, but you have been unjust, idolatrous, not worshiping the Lord your God, but worshiping the culture that surrounds you. He begins first with judging all the neighboring nations. He has a judgment on the nations. So he goes through the list. Y'all, y'all read it with me, so I don't need to read it. Then at the center of those surrounding nations is Israel. And then he pronounces his judgments on Judah. Judah, of course, is in the south because Judah is going to fall under the same influence. And now he's pronounced his judgment on Israel. And notice the nature of Israel's sin. Notice he says it. He says, Oh, um, and, and I'm just reiterating, we read it, but in chapter 2, verse 7, they pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor, and they pervert the way of the humble. The man and the father go into the same girl to defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar of clothes and take on pledge, drink the wine and condemn it in the house of their God, worshiping of other idols, y'all. Where are the ones who were supposed to show the world what it meant to worship God? Worshiping God, because some of you, here's what you're thinking now. You're thinking, okay, the way it is, the way that they worship God is, is that they they perform these sacrifices to God. No. They give, we're in Amos. Now, it's not the way you you make your sacrifices to God. Notice what he tells to Israel that the way that you worship God is how you live. He says in in chapter 4, where we were reading in chapter 4, he's like, come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with lemon. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Let me stop. Let me stop right there. Okay. Um. I only have a few minutes and I've, I've got a little bit of energy because I'm getting lit now. I want to make sure y'all, y'all, y'all see what I see. Do you see what I see? Okay. I want to make sure y'all catching it because some of y'all, you miss it. You miss it. So let me give you some context here. Bethel is a key city in Northern Israel. 
Bethel is where it is, you would say, a religious center in Israel. Bethel is where um, the temple, one of the major temples were, where people would go to and worship. But Bethel was also a place where there was significant injustice. Bethel is actually where Amos left. Amos left, if you see at the beginning of the book, Amos leaves Tekoa. Okay, where's Tekoa? Tekoa is um, Tekoa is on the border of the north and south. So here he is in southern uh, Judah, and now he goes up to Bethel in northern Israel to now pronounce his his judgments. And so he does his ministry. Amos does his ministry there. He's warning the people of their injustice, and this is a compilation of that. That's what we're reading here in Amos. But now you get to chapter four. And he's in Bethel. Bethel is where they go to worship. Bethel is where they come. And notice is that even though that's where they come to worship, he says, come to Bethel and transgress. He said, Gilgal, multiply your transgressions. Y'all reading what I'm reading? Multiply your transgressions. He says, bring your sacrifices every morning. Wait, so I'm multiplying my transgressions by bringing my sacrifices? I thought my sacrifices were supposed to wipe away and wash away my transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning. Bring your tithes every three days. Dang, I thought I tithed once a month. These guys were tithing every three days. He says, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Follow the sacrificial law. Do it. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings for this you love. It didn't say that God loves this. It says that they loved it. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. But even though you love to worship in your way, you still didn't want correction. He goes, he's actually talking to Israel. He's saying to Israel, while you're doing all these sacrifices, you're still committing all these injustices. What's the point of your sacrifices if you're going to continue to commit these injustices? And he now talks about how Israel is hard-headed, the hard-headedness of Israel. He says, at the, at the, continuing on that chapter, I blasted you with blind mildew, and yet you still didn't return to me. Like I destroyed your vineyards and fig trees, all that. You still didn't return to me. And then I brought you a plague. Remember that? A plague that was very similar to what happened in Egypt. And yet even then, after many of your men were killed, you still didn't return to me. You were still following the law because you loved the law, but you weren't following me. You still didn't return to me. God's lament for Israel was not how well they could follow the law. God's lament in Israel, towards Israel, was how they did not know him. They did their worship thing, but they didn't bring justice to the nation. As I stop right here, this is just a stark reminder for us of the great responsibility 
of the fact that our worship leave with anything. If there's anything you leave with, I said a lot. I've been ranting, and I was this is my this was, was the point I was trying to land to, and maybe I didn't land well. Who knows? Y'all y'all gonna get it when you get it. But I hope this leads you to this: is that the worship is not what happens in the building. Your worship. If I say this, dear Christian, your worship is not what you do in the building. Your worship is what you do out of the building. Your worship is not what you do in the temple or at your church or at the pulpit or in the pews. Your worship is what you do when you leave it and you go to the streets. Don't tell me that you're worshiping God. And yet you treat the least of these like trash. Don't tell me that you're worshiping God. But all you look to do is impose your power, your influence over others. Don't tell me that you're worshiping God when you haven't learned to love your neighbor as yourself. God does not see what you're doing inside the building, especially if it doesn't align with how you live outside of it. And for many of us, we have equated our worship to what we do in the room. When our worship is determined by how we treat others. Don't tell me you know God. Don't tell me you love God. But you can't love people. Don't tell me you love God, but can't love the people who are made in the image of God. Don't tell me you love God. When you look at humanity and you don't see God through them, don't tell me you love God. When you say that humanity must be a certain way to be made in the image of God, you are made in the image of God no matter where you are, no matter what condition you're in, no matter what proclivity you have, whatever gender you are, whatever thing you're dealing with, what be it be it homelessness or be it wealth, be it influence, be it riches, be it that you're of renown, be it that you're someone who nobody knows, and yet each and every single person has been made in the image of God. And if you who have been made in the image of God cannot see God in people, regardless of if they live the way that you live and do the things that you do, regardless if they're living in sin or not, the problem is, is that we want people to be perfect before we say that they've been made in the image of God. And yet people have been made in the image of God, regardless of how they live. They have been made in the image of God from the beginning of earth. And until you see them made in the image of God, you can't worship God until you love them well. Don't tell me that you worship God and yet you treat people like trash. Don't tell me you worship God when you put yourself before everyone. Don't tell me you worship God and yet you put your own comfort, your own power, your own influence over that of others. Don't tell me you worship God when you don't even know how to love. And don't tell me you worship God when the only people you love are the ones who agree with you. Don't tell me you worship God when all you all you do is you serve people who follow your political point of view, who are of your culture or ethnicity, who are of your race. Don't tell me you worship God just because you say it. We don't worship in word. We don't love in word we love indeed and this is why folks don't hear what you have to say you can't even see god in them 
Oh, and here's another side note. I'm sorry. I'm too lit right now. It's the NyQuil, y'all. It's the NyQuil, y'all. I think that's what it is. If you have to convert somebody to love them, then you never really love them. If you have to convert someone to your faith or your creed in order to love them, then you actually don't love them the way that God loves them. And if you think it takes them converting to your faith for them to be made in the image of God, then there's something fundamentally wrong with your missiology. Too many of y'all folk want people to align with you first before you can love them. Here's how you'll know that you are that they'll know that you're a disciple of Christ when you love them, regardless of if they change their sexual orientation, regardless of if they change their political worldview, regardless of if they live a life that you agree or disagree with. That's how they'll know that you are his disciple. And family, we don't do that well. We don't do that well. So don't wait for someone to agree with you to love them. Love them. And love each other. There's so much sin in the church. Because we're so good at performing the sacrifices in the temple. And yet, what does God say? He says, go ahead, go to Bethel and go and multiply your transgressions because your worship that you do in the building that does not align and coincide with how it is that you live on the outside only multiplies your transgression. You think God loves you more because of what you do in a building? You're only multiplying your transgression. You know what's funny? You know, and I like that you you asked that question, Bloodstorm, and I'm I'm, I'm done, y'all. Uh, you, you you know what's funny? And I and it's just sorry if I if I go here. It's almost like we believe that somehow we're the ones who convert people. <laughs> it's a crazy thing. It's almost that like we believe if we keep telling people their sin, then then we'll convert them. It's almost like we believe somehow that we have the power to change people as if we were the ones who were able to change ourselves. You couldn't even change yourself. So what made you think that you had the power to change somebody? And so this whole thing about, are we compromising if we just love people who don't agree with us and who live lifestyles? It's almost as if somehow our loving people keeps them, <laughs> keeps them from being transformed by the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if we're the Holy Spirit now. Yeah, we do the work. What if we just allow people to live and see how we live and see what we do? and be inspired by the way that we treat other people. You know, the problem is, is we're too busy trying to convert people and we're not spending enough time loving people. And I always say this, like this is, it's such a dangerous, dangerous thing. And and my, bro my brother or sister, I'm not here to come against you. Don't worry. I know you're saying it in love, okay? So don't think I'm mad at you or anything like that. I'm not at all. Um, cause I know some folks who, when they come they're they're like the, they're like the Pharisee, 
They're like the Pharisee um, um, that came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? When the reality is, is they wanted Jesus to tell them who they ought to love. They wanted to know who it is that they ought to serve. And that's the problem is that for many of us, we want to know who our neighbor is. Like, who are the people that we love? If the church loved more, people would be transformed more by the love of God. I'm over time. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. If the church loved, if the church loved, like love, love would be it. That's it. Love. People are not going to be converted by your understanding of the word and by the conviction of your word. Do you know what convicts, by the way? Not your condemnation. You know what the scriptures tell us? The scriptures tell us that it is the Holy Spirit that convicts. You got nothing to do with someone being transformed. Just your obedience to be present and to be the presence of God in their lives. I was having this conversation yesterday with uh, another brother, and I was speaking about how, 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 and I'm broken up about a particular situation um, that's transpiring close to me. It's a person who, you know, their family member just isn't living the life that they expected them to live or wanted them to live. And they're making a lot of mistakes and doing a lot of stuff that they shouldn't do. And I told them the travesty of it is that they're the only right now and she's the only, this person is the only connection that this family member has to God. She's the only one. And right now, what she doesn't need to hear is how she ought to live. What she needs to do is to see how Jesus loves them. Of course, they had a, there was a big fight. This happened a few weeks ago. And in that fight, there was a lot of judgment being passed and the friend, the, the family member left. And now she can't get in touch with the family member. And so now the one opportunity, the opportunity for that family member to be, to have any kind of connection to God has been severed. And all we can do now is pray that God will meet that family member where they are. God does it. He's done it for many of us. But I think there's a part of us, it's just, I think it's a pride that we have that makes us think that somehow we are the ones who change people's hearts towards Jesus. So all that is to say, family, our worship is connected with how we love and treat other people. That's, that's, that, that's it. I'm done. Does anything you leave in all of this ranting is our worship is measured by how we treat others. So today, worship God, not in the building. Worship God outside. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the least of these.
But if you can do it for the least of your brethren, then you have done it for him. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we're reminded of how good you are. Lord, even as, you, as we're reading it, we're convicted by how we ought to love unconditionally. We're reminded today of your unconditional love towards us. Lord, you came and met us, Lord, in our lowest of low. You've met us in our inner basement, Lord. We, we, were, <laughs> well, we were below and depraved, and yet, Father, you brought us in. Lord, each and every one of us who's here, Lord, let us be reminded, Lord, that our worship is not just in how we perform inside of a building, how we perform at the temple. It's not even measured by the great successes that we see in life, but our worship is determined by how we love those who need it the most. And so, Father, teach us to love as you do. Father, teach us to uh, love those who the world has ignored and who the world has hated, Lord. And even if the world hates us, Father, teach us to love. Well, that can be so hard because at times we are so consumed by our own comfort and our own pride and our own power and our own influence. But Father, I pray that you would, Lord, remove all of that. Let us be driven by your love and the power of your gospel. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Love y'all, fam. Gotta go. I want to remind you again, join our Discord community. You guys are lit right now. I'm live right now on Discord. Join our Discord community because we can continue the conversation there. We can continue connecting there. You'll find family and friends. It's a great community where people can connect with one another. So I want to encourage you to do that. Join our Discord community. It's discord.gg slash opus Discord.gg slash opus I'm about to open up forums where we can have conversations and questions. Um, I also have office hours that I'm going to open up. And that's going to be for my Patreons. Uh, so if you're a patron, I'm going to set up office hours where we can actually converse there and connect. Um, and also, this will be available right away. So the audio for this will be available right away on Patreon. So please prayerfully consider becoming a patron because, um, again, it's your support that makes all this possible. And we've been praying this year to reach our goal. We're getting closer and closer to our goal. But I ask that you would just prayerfully consider becoming a patron as well. It's patreon.com slash Isaac Frere patreon.com slash Isaac Frere. Please consider becoming a patron. And even if you can't do it now, I want you to join our Discord community. That's free. Okay. Connect with us there. That's where we inter interact with one another. And you get to meet all the other folks who are connected there. It's awesome. Join the party. Exactly right, Sarah. Join the party. So I want you guys to go ahead and join our Discord community. Also, text us, 954-231-1848. I send uh, I regularly send words of encouragement there, and I also announce things there. So, 954-231-1848. And I am now live on YouTube. Thank you for saying that, Tina. I am now live on YouTube as well. So, even though I'm live on IG, I'm live on TikTok, I am also live on YouTube, and our YouTube channel is growing. We're creeping closer and closer to uh, 18,000 subscribers, y'all. So, um... I'm going to be putting more content there. Uh, we'll be putting snippets from our Bible study. If you are on our Patreon community, you know we have Bible studies every Wednesday. Uh, right now, we're journeying through the book of Ephesians, which has been powerful. Uh, if we could just get past the first chapter, but we've been spending the last month just on the first chapter of Ephesians. Uh, but I know it's been an eye-opening experience for many of y'all, and I'm so encouraged by that. So I want to encourage you to, to 
our Patreon community, we engage in Bible study. We have discussions there. And so I'll encourage you to um, participate in Bible study, but I'll be posting snippets from our Bible studies also um, on, on YouTube as well. I'm trying to figure all that out. So keep us in prayer on that. But we're about to kick off our YouTube channel. We're looking to do more there. So I want to encourage you guys subscribe to the YouTube channel. Anyway, love y'all. Love you guys very, very much. Um, we're planting a church in Tampa. So we haven't actually launched it yet. Uh, we don't have a uh, launched church in Tampa. We have our online community, The Font TV. I uh, want to encourage you to join that as well on YouTube, The Font TV on YouTube. And uh, yeah, so that's that's where we have a whole community of people who teach and who equip and empower people to make disciples. Keep us in prayer. As I told you, I'm a little bit under the weather. It was the Holy Spirit that kicked me up. But yesterday, I couldn't even get out of bed. I'm glad I, I was able to get out of bed today to do this with you guys. And um, and uh, we'll be there for the church opening. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I'm so excited about that. Uh, so excited about that. Uh, we'll keep you guys apprised as well. Um, pretty soon, we'll have a link for you guys. Actually, no, I'll click a link for you guys to be updated on all our events, the things that we'll be doing as we ramp up into launch. Thank you so much. We got Singapore in the house. Good to see you. Love you guys. Again, go to Discord. You can leave now. Go to Discord. Join our Discord community. And if you are a patron, we have a private community on the Discord as well. I have a Patreon community. Make sure you link your Discord to the Patreon so that way you can be part of that community. Since we have, since we, you know, I, I put announcements for our, our, um, our patrons there. Okay. Share Discord username. So the Discord is Opus Frere, O-P-U-S-F-R-E-R-E, -E, Opus Frere on Discord. Love y'all. God bless you guys. Thank y'all. My Discord group right now is lit. So please be sure to join that group. I look forward to seeing you guys there and I connect there as well. So love y'all. All right, fam. Peace out.